Hello and welcome to the Sprint Podcast. The Sprint Podcast is a meeting place for all things agile and product related. In each episode, we'll talk to some of the most knowledgeable people from the space and pick their brains on what is happening out there in the world of product and agile. So listen, thanks so much for, for joining Mitch and I on the podcast. Um, Thank you very much for having the, me. Of course. I think probably the most appropriate thing, if you don't mind, is for you to introduce yourself. Um, I suppose people know who Mitch and I are. We are on LinkedIn a lot. We do a lot of talking all of the time. Um, it'd be great for people to know who you are. Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Daryl. Uh, I am an enterprise agile instructor and coach. Uh, I work with a range of organizations from uh, mostly large enterprises, but also some small and medium enterprises uh, in, in pretty much any industry or sector. Um, and uh, I, you know, my mission in life, what gets me up out of bed in the morning, is uh, I, I really am passionate about helping to change the way the world uh, does its work. Uh, my, my guiding vision, so to speak, is uh, that I, I, I want to create organizations to be fantastic places to work that have happy, effective staff who create brilliant products and services that their customers absolutely love. So that's, that's what uh, gets me out of bed. That's brilliant. That's a big a smile mission. on my dial. Yeah, well, there are lots of people doing amazing work all around the world doing that. I'm just one part of that. Uh, but, but me adding my energy and contributing to that uh, is, is my, my purpose in, in work. Happy days. And so I'm curious to kind of talk to you a little bit about your journey through from what looks like being the more kind of traditional delivery and, and project management style roles through to now doing what you do. How did that happen? How did you end up in the agile space? What drew you to it? And, and why did you think you'd be good at it as well? Mm-hmm. So I've had an interesting journey from when I was a little tacker. Uh, my, my parents always used to say that whenever anyone asked me, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, apparently, I always used to say a scientist. Uh, and all the way through school and, and high school and everything like that, I was absolutely going to be a scientist. And I, I you know, studied science. I went to uni to do science. And I, my dirty little secret is I actually have a, an, an honours degree in theoretical physics. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, my my, um, my honours paper was in quantum chaos. Uh, so quantum mechanical effects in chaotic systems. No so way. I, I absolutely love that. And I, I still so to this day, um, <laughs> a little bit dirty, not, not that bad. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I still listen to uh, podcasts and, and uh, videos and so on of um, astrophysics and quantum mechanics and everything. I, I absolutely love it. So, so that's how I thought my life was going to go. And uh, when I was at uni studying physics, we had this, uh, this, this crazy year. Uh, one of the lecturers actually, unfortunately, um, passed away. Um, one of them never, ever showed up. Uh, we had textbooks that never showed up. It, it was a bit of a debacle. Um, and it kind of had me start to think, well, hang on, do I really want to do this? Is this really what I want to do? And I started looking around and, and talking to people in the industry and they were saying, it's a pretty rough gig. You've, you know, only very, very few ever really make it, you know, big um, and, and are commercially successful. Hmm. I was like, oh, wow. If I don't do that, what else might I do? And I'd always loved technology and computers. Uh, and ever since I was a kid, I saw a computer at uh, one of my dad's friend's house and I was like dad you've got to get me one of those I need one of those things so we got one built it at home and that was it 
So I've always loved that stuff. So I'd always kept my computer stuff going as well on the side. Yeah. A bit of moonlighting, you know. So when I had my crisis, my existential crisis of faith uh, around physics, uh, I went, well, maybe I'll do some computer stuff instead. Um, and I'd also also had a background as uh, doing businesses. Uh, so when I was in my early teens, uh, I remember, do you remember those big boom boxes you used to hold on your shoulder and yeah. walk around with? Only from the were, movies. I'm not old enough, Daryl. The coolest I, I've seen them. To, excellent. Well, I'm glad you've seen it and you know what I'm talking about <laughs> at least. So, uh, man, I feel old now. So anyway, <laughs> I went to my dad one day and I said, so dad, I want this new boom box. And I figured out the one I want, right? I've done all the research. I know all the model. I know all the features, everything about it. And he's like, great. So you've done all your homework. Good. Now you just need the money, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Dad? And he's like, so how are you going to get it? And I went, oh, uh, uh, like I was thinking maybe you, you know, he's like, ah, no, 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 no. If you want the money for that, why don't you start a business? I'm like, what? I think I was like 13 or something at the time, yeah. maybe 14. Anyway, so uh, he said, why don't you just go with well, these big strip of shops? Why don't you just go ask them all if they need any work done? And then you can say you're starting a business doing that work and, and you're off and running. And I was like amazed. That, Is it really that simple? So sure enough, I went into a first few shops and I'm like, hey, do you need any work done? I'm starting a business, you know, helping all the shops in this area. And uh, the first few were like, nah, 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 not really. And then one of the guys said, well, I guess you could mow my lawn if you want. And I went, okay. And he goes, well, I'll give you 20 bucks. And I thought, all right, this is great. So I went out and I said to my dad, all right, this guy, I'm going to mow his lawn for 20 bucks. And he goes, great. Now all you need is a lawnmower. And I went, well, yeah. And he goes, oh, oh you want to use my lawnmower? Okay, well, it's going to need petrol. It's going to need servicing and whatever. So... Uh, if you're getting 20 bucks per lawn, say if you give me five bucks for each one of those, I'll get it serviced and I'll put petrol in it and you can use my lawnmower for your business. And I'm like, okay, all right. He goes, all right, so now you go in and you tell all the rest of the shops, I've just started a lawn mowing business in this area. I'm doing some of the other businesses here. Would you like me to do yours while I'm doing them? I'm like, okay. So I went in and sure enough, three or four of the others said, yeah, okay, why not? Uh, and so bang, my first business was born. Lowing lawns, mowing lawns. So at the tender age of 14, I was, I was uh, running my first business. And so uh, as life has sort of gone on, I've run lots of businesses doing things like um, tutoring while I was at uni, coaching, and, and uh, I did some lecturing for a while. And uh, so I'd always run businesses as well. So uh, along the way, when I decided I wasn't going to do the science and I'm going to do some computers, I started, uh, started creating and running some computer businesses. So I was doing that for a while and I, I went into business with a guy who was at the time he seemed like a really really like-minded kind of guy right we were both big ideas people we're both very extroverted we're both keen as to get this going but as time went on it turned out that we actually had completely different approaches to how to treat people and how to run a business and how to, to treat our staff and he was the kind of guy that would say, right, our guys have got to wear suits and they've got to be in the office at 8.30 in the morning and you've got to crack the whip over them to make sure they're working hard. Sounds like and, my first job in recruitment. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so that was quite different. For me, I was very much the opposite. I was like, 
Ah, the guys were here till 10 o'clock last night. I don't mind if they don't show up till 10 o'clock the next day. And they're crawling around all day under server racks. Like, they don't need a suit and tie. They can wear a T-shirt. You can wear the get effed on coding T-shirts for all I care. And he was like, no, what if a customer comes into the office? I'd say, well, then get them to store a suit in the cupboard. If a customer comes in, they can put it on. Anyway, so I used to take them down the shops and buy inflatable furniture and dinosaurs that stick to the roof and that sort of thing. Yeah, had a very different style. And I didn't quite know why our styles were so mismatched. I didn't quite yeah. know why I was so different. And and all that we had about 17 staff at that point, and they, they were telling me, you're very different to other management, other bosses that I've worked for. One of the, one of the guys even had a nickname for my partner, which was uh, the PHB, the pointy-haired boss, uh, pointy-headed boss, um, if you, reference from Dilbert, if you, if you know Dilbert. Um, and I was the non-pointy-headed boss. Uh, and uh, so... I didn't quite know what this was all about, but I knew it was important somehow. Hmm. So as the years went on, we we became more and more um, obvious that we're going in different directions with with this. And uh, we ended up, we we couldn't continue in that partnership anymore. Um, So I I sold off the business and I went looking. And I tried traditional project management, program management, portfolio management. I was an infrastructure project manager for a while. Mm -hmm. And I found that um, it was, while I was quite successful at doing that, it was deeply unsatisfying. And the reason for that was because so many things about the way we do work these days is either unknown upfront or it changes. And we make all these decisions at the time when we actually know the least about what we're going to do. And then we get told, no, you have to stick to those decisions, even if they were bad ones. Yes. And the answer, if, you know, the, the timelines look to have shifted or not getting the progress that they need or so on, is you've got to fight to defend your original scope and you need to push the team to work harder to make up for lost time. And that always struck me as being fundamentally flawed. It was often unsuccessful and it felt like quite an inhumane way of working. I didn't like it. Hmm. So I went looking and I didn't know what I was looking for until I found it. And then all of a sudden, I got asked to uh, lead an agile project. And I thought, well, I'm not a gymnast or anything like that. I don't really know what that means. But uh, I couldn't even spell agile. Uh, but they said, come and come and do one of these. So, all right, that's fine. Pure luck, pure chance then for you to have had that opportunity. It absolutely was. And I knew I was looking, but because I didn't know what I was looking for, I didn't know how to find it. But I'm a firm believer in you know being prepared for opportunity. Like if you're... If you're saying that you're looking for something, if you're putting that intention out there, I believe that it's more likely that it's that's helping you be aware of opportunities that come and be ready for them. Yes. Because I very easily could have said no to that opportunity, but there was something about it that I said yes. Anyway, so I jumped in and uh, I had an amazing team who, you know, showed me the ropes, taught me what Agile was all about. And from there, I went, this is fantastic. This is amazing. This is the way I want to work from now on. Like it's it's fundamentally more successful, it's more humane, and the, the people love it, and we're so much more effective, and, uh, and this is what I was looking for. So that's how my career ended up uh, transitioning. I went and uh, did some study, did some practice, led some projects, started running projects, did a, a Scrum Master course, mm-hmm. um, did coaching work, um, and then through years of honing the craft in, in practice, then I, I've ended up where I am today. Happy days. 
And so it sounds like for you, it was a really organic, really natural thing to move into that agile space. And actually, there was more alignment between running projects in an agile way versus that kind of more traditional thing where you almost maybe felt like you were doing something wrong comparative to your partner. Maybe you were too soft or maybe you felt like that until you realized that actually there was a space for that style and that way of thinking that was actually really effective. Absolutely. Exactly. And uh, I think as well, because I had such a scientific background, such a strong, rigorous grounding in the foundations of, of scientific thinking, when I discovered, uh, you know, Agile was created based on the scientific method, it's a risk minimization and management uh, and a tool. Once I realized that, a whole lot of different things clicked into place from, from my background um, journey and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and just brought it to life for me. It's really strange, actually. I almost I feel like there's an alignment between your story and mine in a, in a sense in that recruitment is one of those industries. It's changed a lot in the 10, 11 years that I've been doing it. But traditionally, it was, you know, get on the phones, do 20 of this thing, do 10 of this thing. If you haven't done 20 and 10 today, you've got to do 30 and 40 tomorrow to make up for it. Very much in the same way that you just explained your those old kind of traditional project management type um, roles. And I always felt like there was more to it and there could be more to it. And I wasn't exactly sure how to articulate it or really what that should look like. And now, very fortunately, I found precision sourcing and um, we do take a very different approach. This is part of it. We, we do podcasts. We use a lot of video content. It, we're not just smashing the phones for the sake of being able to say we've smashed the phones. And I think we're adding a lot more value to the, the people that we work with both clients and, and candidates. Um, and it's a much more meaningful way to work, which I think is is generating better outcomes overall for everybody. Absolutely. And just um, picking up on a few things that you said there, um, Chris, you know, not just doing things for the sake of it, you know, not just conducting an activity that doesn't necessarily lead to an outcome, um, focusing on value. You know, there were lots of projects that I ran where they weren't necessarily going to deliver value, but we were told you have to do them anyway. Well, the budget's yeah. approved your performance is on the line, deliver the scope. I'm like, yeah. you know, we have already found out no one's going to use it. So why don't we just not spend the money? Well, you can't do that. You don't spend it this year, you lose it next year. I'm like, yeah, but surely there's a better use for this money. Nope. <laughs> it's bizarre. Um, exactly. So focusing and, and suppose... on value and outcomes, like super, super important and meaningful yeah. work, meaningful yeah. outcomes. It's so fulfilling. You know, people want to feel like they're doing something that matters. They make a difference. Um, not just a hamster in a wheel for, for absolutely, no yeah. And so what, what's your position then? And, and again, I'll relate this back to recruitment. There's still a time and a place for getting on the phone, smashing it. Sometimes you, you just need to drive activity because inevitably it will lead to outcomes. And yes, it might not be smart. It might not be as meaningful, but sometimes the hard graph just gets it done and that's what needs to be done. Um, there's still a place for traditional project management, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think it's important to understand that it's all about context, right? What is it that we're trying to achieve? And then what's the best tool for the job? And, uh, you know, if an organization is packaging up work as projects and they want someone to track and report the progress and handle the financials, then someone like a project manager is the perfect person to do that. The question is, what's the value of the work? What's the outcome? What's mm. the, the business or the customer benefit to doing that work um, if that's solid well then great uh, if it's not 
then we're questioning why are we doing that work yes. rather than just doing work for work's own sake. That's the difference. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, so you, you kind of made your way into the agile way of working. You've yep. honed that skill over a period of time and you've got a long and successful career in the space. What's going on for you right now? So uh, recently, well, I say recently, it was a couple of years ago now, um, I decided to create another business in the agile coaching and instructing space. And I went looking, and uh, and I'll give a uh, I'll give I'll give a plug here for some amazing people in Europe, uh, folks that you may have heard of, um, who have uh, created a business model called the CRISP model, and they decided to ask themselves the question of what would it look like if they created a business that was different to the traditional business model, and instead of just being about making money. What if it was based on the agile principles? What would a business model look like and how would it be different? And then because uh, part of the values behind uh, agility is about transparency, uh, you know, openly sharing so that we can all improve together, um, they decided to take this business model that they came up with called the CRISP DNA model uh, and mm -hmm. they put it on GitHub for anyone to use, public, um, publicly available. Anyone can fork off their own copy of it. Uh, and then they can create a business based on on that that model, that DNA. And then it's if they the want CRISP to business model, yes, CRISP, right, C-R-I-S-P, yep, CRISP DNA. And uh, and then if anyone wants to, if they make improvements to it, they can check those changes back into GitHub. And the original CRISP guys could even look at that and decide if they wanted to, they could pull those changes in to improve their model. So it's That's kind true. of got this open source, crowdsource, um, you know, kind of aspect to a business model which I think is amazing, right? I think I, I love it. Yeah, it's cool. Um, <clears throat> so this business model is up there publicly available. Anyone can use it. And it's quite different to traditional businesses. Uh, so as an example, the main purpose that traditional businesses have for existing is to make money. Whereas the CRISP model said, well, what if making money was a byproduct? What if it was something that happened but it wasn't its sole purpose. What if the sole purpose of the business was to make people happy? Happiness of the staff, happiness of the customers. What if that was the measure of success and having a successful business with happy customers and happy staff, it would make money as a byproduct, but that's not its, um, its pure, simple goal. Yes. So there's lots of interesting things that happen when you do this thought experiment. So anyway, they did it, they created this model and it was uh, it, it's up there available on, on GitHub. So I found this model and I went, this is great. I want to start a business like this. So I went looking and talking to some people. I'm like, I'm interested in starting this business. Would you be interested in being in it with me? Uh, and along the way, I met someone who had already started a crisp style business here in uh, Australia. And they very kindly answered all my questions about could it do this and what if I did that and would it handle mm -hmm. this and, and so on. Uh, and they said, yeah, you could do all that stuff if you like, or you could just come join ours. We've already got one up and running. You could just join if you want. And because of the way it works, uh, it's there's no barrier to entry or exit. People can join, they can leave again. Um, so it promotes autonomy and freedom for its members. Um, and uh, so they said, you could just join if you like. So I did. So the last couple of years, I have found my home uh, within this crisp style business. Uh, and our business, the, the Australia uh, version of this, is called Organa, O-R-G-A-N-A, -A, Organa. 
you can look us up on Organa.au. And uh, what we have a link. What does mean, Daryl? I'm so glad you asked, Chris. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, Organa is actually a plural of the word organum. Uh, it is, and it's actually a word. And or, organum is a system of knowledge or a systematic school of thought. It's an approach, a mental model. So organa is the plural of that. So it means many different approaches, many different uh, mental models and sense-making uh, no, approaches cool. for the world, right? And and that's what we believe. There are many, many different ways of doing things. Um, there's not just one right way, thou shalt do it this way, and any other way is the wrong way. Um, we're not evangelical like that. Uh, so there are many systems of thought that that can get you to the top of the mountain, and all of them may have different value in different contexts. So that's what Organa means. Um, and then just quietly, I'm also a uh, crazy Star Wars fan. And uh, so the fact that there's, uh, you know, Leia Organa uh, was also a Star Wars reference uh-huh. kind of just had a bit of added bonus for you me. Take that. I'll take it. I'll take it. But uh, yeah, but it is actually a real word. Uh, just not a very um, uh, often used word, um, cool. but, that, but that's what it means. Awesome. And so what's the what's the mission of the business? Is it very much aligned with what you described at the start? Very much. So it's about creating a happy home for its people and creating happy customers uh, and helping them to achieve whatever their mission is. Uh, you know, creating, like I said before, amazing products and services that their customers absolutely love. That's what we're all about. Um, and as a byproduct, uh, the business makes money enough to be successful, but that's not its purpose in existing. Its purpose is happiness. And we Makes have sense. our success metrics are all based around uh, different ways of measuring happiness and uh, making sure that that um, stays high or even trends up over time. That's our measure of success. That's awesome. Um, One thing that I wanted to explore with you, and I know you've got experience in this, I suspect a lot of people who are listening um, will be keen to understand how they can make the transition from traditional delivery roles into more agile centric roles, whether that be scrum master or coaching. Um, Have you got any advice on how someone could or should best do that? Absolutely. So um, I think that, you know, at the moment, there are more and more roles um, that I see in the industry that either um, would benefit from or even require um, some sort of experience with agile ways of working. Um, or even if they're not calling it agile, they're often calling it new ways of working or they might refer to business agility um, or even they want to be involved in digital transformations. Um, so there's lots of different uh, you know, terms for it, but um, the world is not the same as it was, you know, three, four decades ago. And trying to solve the problems of today with the management models and the thinking models from last century, or even the one before, if we're being honest, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Taylorism and a lot of the production line thinking, and there are management and there are workers, and never the twain shall meet. Workers don't think, management don't work, big divide in between, right? These sort of things. Sounds like my first job in recruitment again, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some jobs I still see today. <laughs> uh, and and look, you know, the 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 fact of the matter is that that sort of mode of thinking, that sort of approach, um, is 150 years out of date now, and the world has moved on since then. So people and organisations, um, in order to succeed, 
need to be adopting current modern practices of work, thinking models uh, and, and ways of approaching things. So mm. the first thing that I would suggest in, in terms of advice for people is, um, you know, adopt a learning mindset, be curious. Like there is so much amazing work out there that so many amazing people are doing. Um, get curious about it. Find out about, you know, how we think these days, how technology is moving ahead, how businesses work. Find the things that put a smile on your dial, light you up, um, and, and look into those things. Um, that curiosity, that passion will help guide you towards, um, you know, what aspect of this, this new world is going to be most interesting and most appropriate for you. Uh, because the field has grown so large now. It's like anything. When it starts out, it's small. And one person can kind of know pretty much everything about that field, right? So when law or medicine or even computers started out, uh, one person could know pretty much everything there was to know. Hmm. But as, as time goes on and the field grows, uh, people need to specialize. They need to kind of find an area of it that, that fits for them um, and, and, and go into that field. So um, the first thing I would say is there's so much you're not going to know it all. Don't don't try. Just find the things that interest you and follow that curiosity uh, and that passion. Um, so that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing I'd say is, um, you know, probably everyone has heard the phrase continuous improvement. I like to, you know, be a little bit provocative. I like to challenge that and say, how about we consider the phrase relentless improvement instead, right? Because continuous improvement, the connotations on that is a little bit, uh, yeah, we should probably all continuously improve. That sounds nice. Someone should get on that. I wonder whose job that is to do that. Uh, let me know. Maybe, Chris, could, could that be your job? Could you do that, right? Whereas relentless improvement, it's got a bit more of a, like it's got connotations on it of being um, tenacious. You know, I kind yes. of think of it like a, like a terrier, right? <laughs> I'm not going to let this go, right? I've got to be relentlessly improve, right? I'm not willing to settle, for staying the same, right? This is, this is up to me, it's my job. I'm not leaving it to someone else. I'm gonna be part of improving things in whatever field that means, in whatever work we do, right? How do we always look for ways of improving things? And there's an amazing conversation. And, and you know, when you think about it, this is eight decades ago now, where Toyota asked their people to make a commitment uh, to improving. And they, they called it a reciprocal commitment. They said, we'll ask you to make a commitment to this. And then in turn, we'll make a commitment to you to match it, right? They said, we're going to ask every single one of you to take on that it's part of your day-to-day -day job to look for ideas for improvement. And then not just look for them, but to also voice them, right? So we want you to commit to every single day thinking about what ideas could you could you come up with to improve things and then you speak those ideas okay and that's part of your job description doesn't matter if you just turn a screwdriver on a widget all day long or you mop floors every single day you think of what could i come up with that might improve things around here and then i'm going to tell someone right and then they said we'll match that commitment if you do that then we'll commit to you that we will not only listen to your ideas, but we will act on them. We will try them out, right? So we're gonna to commit to each other that you come up with ideas and you tell us, 
and we'll listen to those ideas and then we'll try them out. Mm. Right now, not every idea is going to imp improve things. Right, it might improve something here, but it makes something worse over there, and overall, it's a bad change. And that's okay. Right, we, we're going to adopt an experimentation mindset to this. Uh, but some of those ideas will improve things. They will make things better. And if every person in the tens of thousands of people in the organization are thinking of these ideas and we're constantly trying things out and we're keeping the things that improve, over time, our trajectory for improvement is going to go up like this. We're going to get yeah. better and better and better, right? And instead of just leaving it to other managers, it's their job to improve things. How many of them is there? A few tens, maybe a few hundreds? Right? No, we've got tens of thousands of people thinking of ideas. It's going to result in a better organization in the future, better for everyone, better for customers, better for staff, better for the world. And that's what we want. So that's the second thing I would say is mm. adopt a relentless improvement mindset. Don't settle for things staying the same. Be unwilling to settle for the same old, same old. If you've got a process that you see in your organization and you don't think that it's adding any value or you think it's out of date or you think that it's actually making things worse for the organization or for your customers, speak it, ask, challenge That's it. Great advice, Say, hey, it? can we improve this? Could, could I help? I have some ideas, right? So that's the second thing. And then the third thing I would say is go and invest in yourself a little. You know, go and read a book. You know, buy you can buy books cheap on Kindle or you can listen to them on audio or audible while you're while you're walking or something. Um, do a course. You know, go, go and uh, find something that that interests you uh, and, and go and invest in yourself a bit. Um, especially if you're following the first two things. You know, find things that light you up. Adopt a, a relentless improvement mindset, and then. Go and invest in yourself a bit and uh, develop your, your skills, your experience, your expertise uh, in, in those areas that are going to make a difference, they are going to improve things and you're going to enjoy. And Bob's your uncle, you're off and running. That's great advice. That's brilliant. And I suppose that maybe leads into a little bit around some of the, I don't know if extracurricular is the right word, but some of the other services that you offer in the business, whereby you do help people to learn agile ways of working, agile methodologies and you offer training courses, right? Absolutely, we do. Yep, so we're very happy to talk with people about customizing courses for their particular um, interests or their particular needs. Um, we have standard courses that we can do. If people are interested in certification courses, we can do those for them. Um, if people are interested in just bespoke courses around their, uh, their individual workplaces or their industries, we can totally do that too. We use a range of um, certifications and, and approaches. Uh, we're not a, just a one-size-fits-all. Uh, we have some amazing people in the uh, business community that we work with. Um, and we're looking always to find out how can we create, you know, win-win-win situations where it's this shared value. Uh, you know, how can we help, um, you know, internally, our goal is to create happiness. So we want to do that. Um, you know, people such as yourself who are helping people, uh, you know, who are looking for opportunities connect with the people that have them. Um, how can we create extra value for that, uh, you know, type of um, you know, situation. Um, mm -hmm. And then how can we add value and create opportunities for those people uh, and, and potentially those organizations as well. Um, so we, we, you know, we, we think creatively about, you know, have business models uh, and engagements structured around uh, 
you know, in, incentives and discounts and, and referrals and customizations and, and all sorts of things whereby uh, we try and make something be uh, advantageous for every person. Yeah, that's awesome. And I suppose you and I had a really interesting conversation last week around how you and I could work together in that sense as well. And I suppose one of the difficulties that I found as a recruiter, working with people who are perhaps trying to make the transition from traditional delivery into agile, which I really struggle with, and it is a difficult leap to make, um, particularly if someone's looking to make that leap moving from one job to another or one organization to another. Um, I, I tend to find there's a bit of a barrier there, which obviously training and education can certainly help to, to bring down. I suppose it's good having for me to have somebody like you in my network, because if I do have those people that I can't necessarily help, then I can always point them in your direction. Right. And it may be that you can offer some um, some different perspective and some support in terms of training and such. So hopefully you and I'll be working closely together on that as well as time goes on. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I'm really excited about that. I think there's heaps of opportunity there. Um, you know, there are many people who, you know, may be in a similar situation to what you and I were working in traditional roles would love to make the the transition, but, you know, kind of missing some uh, some skills or some experience that would otherwise um, you know, enable them to apply for a particular role, but mm. they kind of feel like, you know, they wouldn't be considered without, uh, without something, you know, firstly, um, like it or not, people do look for certifications. Um, they do look for education and qualifications and so mm. on. Um, they're not the only factor, absolutely, but they are a factor. Um, so they can really help people uh, in securing, um, you know, some of those roles. Um, people already have heaps of experience in other roles, and that can be applicable to the new roles if you know how, if you know how to translate it. You know, people who are delivery-focused or commercially, uh, um, you know, aware uh, or um, have technical skills. Those things can transition over with just mm. a little bit of bridging. But I'm also not a fan of people um, who you know need um, some sort of certification for a role but don't have anything to back it up, right? So that's why I would always be suggesting, um, you, you know, additional support by way of preparation sessions for interviews, coaching sessions to help people actually put it into practice, so that it's not just hypothetical learning. They actually get to have a go at doing it, so that yes. they can. Now, it, it, it's really important when you're going for an interview for a role like this, you know, to be able to have a couple of stories that you can tell from your real experience so about, yeah, because, you know, then people know that, A, you've actually done it a bit, even if it's not much, uh, you can be upfront about that. Mm. Uh, but you can say, look, I have done a couple of things and this is what I did and this is how it worked. And it's so much more authentic and genuine. You know, one, uh, of the, um, one of the the most common pieces of feedback that I'll get from interviews for people who want to be a scrum master or a coach or an interviewing for those roles is that they demonstrated really good kind of academic capability, but they weren't able to show any war stories or tell any stories about what they had done. And these are often people who have done some really cool things and they get bogged down on the academic side of things. And you're right, yeah. it's about being able to tell that story um, holistically so that you can demonstrate what you've done but also in tandem with that, you understand the principles and the best practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if those people who are hiring for those roles, and, and they're not always, but if those people um, are, are also in that agile mindset, those new ways of working, then they will also be interested in adopting, you know, learning and experimentation type approaches. And Absolutely. so if you have a war story of something that you tried that was not successful, but you can articulate what you learned out of it, 
then that can be as informative and useful and valuable for them sometimes as, yeah, right? Because you're also demonstrating that you're willing to learn and grow. Um, And, you know, you can teach people technical skills, but it's much harder to teach someone, you know, to to adopt that learning and growth mindset um, than it is to teach someone a technical skill. Absolutely. Um, All right, last question. Um, How does somebody like you, somebody like me, people who are in the space, or want to get into the space, stay up to date with kind of emerging trends in the Agile space and the latest happenings and what's going on? What's the best way for us to do that? Again, I would probably just um, caution a little bit about people putting an expectation on themselves that they should necessarily be able to stay up to speed on everything everywhere in in this space because the space Mm. is huge now. Um, You know, you've got everything from, you know, really hardcore technical things all the way through to mindset and uh, psychology and everything in between. And it's a huge space. So um, again, I, I suppose I would say to people, find the things that they're interested in that light them up and, and pursue those things and try and keep up to speed with those things because that's that's likely to be far more manageable for people than, you know, I, I've had a few people that I've, I've been coaching um, that they've had a bit of experience and exposure, you know, sort of scrum mastery sort of stuff before. Mm-hmm. And then I've started saying to them, okay, well then, you know, you know uh, open your eyes to this and this and this and this and this. And the net effect is that they actually feel overwhelmed because they had no idea how big the space was and how much amazing work people are doing around the world uh, in in this area. And they were like, oh, my God, how am I ever going to, you you know, understand all of that and and be up to speed with all of that? And I'm like, you won't and you don't have to. Don't feel like you need to because that puts unnecessary pressure on yourself. Um, instead, just follow your passion, follow your heart. We have a, one of our core values uh, in, in our Organa business model is what we call hearts over wallets. And that is it's more important to come from your heart than it is to do something just for money. Right. I love that. And, yeah. And, and look, I like it because it's structured in the same way the agile values are. You know, they say things like customer collaboration over contract negotiation. Right. So it's one thing over another. So there's still value in the in the thing on the right, but there's more value in the thing on the left. Yeah. Um, and we, we, we think the same hearts over wallets. Right. It's more there's value, obviously, in making money. We've all got bills to pay. Right. And if you want to stay in business, sure. you've got to you got to be sustainable. Right. So there's value in that. But there's more value in finding the things that really inspire you and following that and coming from your heart um, that will ultimately get you where you want to go more successfully. That's awesome advice. Mate, thank you so much. We have basically said nothing for the last 40 minutes, and that's absolutely perfect because <laughs> <laughs> the things that you've shared have been really interesting. Um, uh, really appreciate you coming on. I know it's been kind of relatively short notice, and you jumped on with very little preparation. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm sure everyone will get a lot out of hearing you talk about those things. Um, well, for anybody who is interested, of course, in getting more information or wanting to connect with Dowell, of course, you can find them on LinkedIn. We will link you in our posting and our marketing, and we'll also um, link your business as well. So that's up there. Wonderful. Um, well, thanks so much for having me. I've really uh, appreciated it. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I just, I love the opportunity to, if there's a way we can help people out there at scale, uh, transition into this sort of uh, area, if, if they're interested in doing that, if they want to um, add new possibilities for their career uh, and we can help them do that, uh, then I'm absolutely all up for that. That's the one, man. That's awesome. Thank you so much. 
Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Talk Cheers, to you soon. Mate. Thank you. Bye.